See, things that sometimes don't make sense to us make perfect sense to God. And yet Elisha gave the message, even though it probably wasn't what he wanted, even though it didn't seem to make human sense, even though there's a sense in which it seems to reward the wicked. And, w- and one of the reasons that we do that is because we don't understand his purposes. Because God is doing more than what is just apparent to us. I'm Celeste Montague. Welcome to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, featuring the teaching of senior pastor Dr. Kevin Shaw. Dare to Stand is on the radio to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all who will listen, to carefully teach the truth of God's Word, and to encourage a healthy lifestyle of worshiping and honoring God. For more details about Dare to Stand or the ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church, please visit www.daretostand.org or call the church at 623-581-3115. You can receive a free MP3 copy of today's message or the entire series in MP3 format for a small fee by contacting the church. Well, today we continue our study of the life of Elisha, the prophet, who took the mantle of the role of prophet after Elijah was taken up to heaven in a fiery chariot. Today, we bring you part three of a message titled, Serve God, Do Not Use Him. We pick things up with Dr. Shaw as he describes the predicament that the armies of Jehoram find themselves in going to war in a place where there is no water for the troops to drink. Not good. Here's our teacher, Dr. Kevin Shaw. Now, I know that it's been said in the past that armies march on their stomachs, and that's true. But they also need to drink something. And you're never going to get to worry about the stomach if you can't give them something to drink. And so they have run out of water. There's no water to feed the armies. There's no, armory. There's no water to feed the animals that are there. That's what, what it describes here. It says, so the king of went and the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass, a compass of seven days' journey. They decided a, a circular route of seven days' journey. And there was no water for the host. That's the army. And for the cattle for the horses and all of those things that followed them, bringing all the supplies. And the king of Israel said, Alas, the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. They're stuck. I mean, they have the potential of all three armies perishing in the desert without ever having gotten into a fight to begin with. You say, Shouldn't they have planned better? I, I suppose. Maybe if they thought that there would be springs or there would be water, but there was no water. So they got into a mess. Now, it's interesting. And then when you get in the mess, you blame your problem on God. This is how we use God, right? Lord, you, know, I, I, you have this terrible marriage problem. Lord, how is it that you let me marry this person? We plan without God, we get ourselves in a mess, and then we say it's his fault. Isn't that what Jehoram did? Look in this passage. He says, Alas, that the Lord Jehovah 
all of a sudden he's a Jehovah follower. All of a sudden he's devout. All of the, when it is convenient, right, to blame it on God. Now why is he doing that? Well, if, if we can convince God or the people of God that it's God's fault, right, then God is obligated to fix it for us. But Jehoshaphat, verse 11, and we same pattern that we saw with Ahab. Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? Isn't there a prophet? So you blame your problem on him. And then you seek God when trouble comes. Now Jehoshaphat has this place, he wants to seek God. And so they said, here's Elisha, the son of Shaphat which poured water on the hands of Elisha. He's a man of God. Jehoshaphat said, verse 12, the, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, now here's, he says, what have I to do with thee? We say, what does that mean? It means, why are you here? What do you have to do with me? We're not friends. Why are you coming to see me? I can see him looking maybe... Looking at Edom, maybe the king of Edom, but this is really, this story is all about Jehoram. And we'll see from beginning to end. He looks at Jehoram and he says, he says to him this, he says, go, go to your own gods. He says, get thee, verse 13, to the prophets of thy father and to the prophets of thy mother. Go to, your, go to the prophets of Baal, why are you coming to me? And here's what Jehoram says. The audacity. But here's what he says. No, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. God did this. Well, maybe there's a sense in which God did for judgment. But it was his choice. He's the one that initiated all of this. He's the one that started the mess. And then when, it, when trouble comes, it's not his own religion that he goes to. It's not his own prophets. Have you ever noticed that? People that they, they gather around themselves the wrong kind of friends. And they gather around themselves the kind of people that, that you know, will sin with them and they'll do the drugs with them and they'll be involved in the, the sinful lifestyle with them and they'll be involved in all the carnality with them. And then when trouble comes, you know where those folks go? They fly away. And where do they have to go? They go back to the righteous people who have been in their life and say, would you please help me? Would you please help me? And some godly people have said at the time, well, where did all your friends go? You know, all the friends that you preferred over your family and all the friends that you preferred over the, the godly people who were part of your church growing up that loved you and cared for you. Where did all of they go? Where did they go? Those ones, you traded us in for those people. Where did they go? And this is what happens. This is why some people that seem like they're repentant aren't really. Because all they are really looking for is for God to get them out of the mess they're in right now. You say, well, how do you know the difference? Here's how I would have known the difference if I was there. If Jehoram had said something like this, I have sinned against the God of Israel and I have made plans without seeking him. I have followed the sin of Jeroboam and not led the people in the righteous way of God. And I stand here humbled before you asking for God's mercy. But Jehoram 
does not speak that way. So what does it look to serve, look like to serve God? Let's take a look at Elisha as we finish up here. Instead of making plans without God, you wait on God for an answer. Now, verse 13, verse 14 and 15. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I re- regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah. He understood Jehoshaphat to be righteous and he respected Jehoshaphat, but he had no respect for Jehoram. He said, if it weren't for the fact that he is standing here, I wouldn't even be listening to you. I would not look toward thee nor see thee, but now bring me a minstrel. And it came to pass when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came to him. See, now it would no, this, is, this is what we would normally do. Listen, you got yourself into this mess. You get yourself out of it. And we would think we're being very righteous. You're, I mean, and we might you know, go into a big sermon, an explanation, a big I told you so's, and all kinds of stuff like that. That might be typically the way that we would respond in this particular moment. But you know what I, you know what's amazing to, to me regarding Elisha is he didn't do that. He still, even though to me the proper response would have looked obvious, he went to God and prayed and sought God's will. This, this is important for us to understand that seeking God's will, he brings the, the minstrel, by the way, probably to dis, you know, help him focus with all the stuff that's going around, just help him to focus as he's praying and seeking God's face. But he would not give a message to these kings without it being clearly God's message for them at this time. He waited on God. One of the differences between serving God and using God is waiting on him. And so he says, bring me a minstrel. And the minstrel came, and when he played, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus saith the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. When the hand of God falls on him, the prophet speaks. When we have an answer from God, from his word, then he speaks. So you wait on God for an answer. And then you obey God completely. By the way, when it isn't what we want. I, I have a hunch based upon what seems to be the attitude of Elisha here, especially toward Jehoram. He, he was giving God's answer, but it, it seems like if, if, if I, I'm just putting myself in Elisha's shoes, I wouldn't have wanted to pronounce godly blessings or instructions that would get them out of this mess. But that's what God does. He says, make ditches, dig ditches. When it doesn't make sense. So Elisha the prophet tells King Jehoram and his armies to start digging ditches. And we'll see what happens next in a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church, and part three of a message titled, Serve God, Do Not Use Him, as we bring you a study of the life of Elisha, who followed Elijah. Visit daretostand.org for more details about Dr. Shaw's church or this radio ministry. Many in our community struggle with addiction. Here's Dr. Shaw to talk about an addiction recovery ministry at his church called Freedom That Lasts. Hello, this is Kevin Shaw. Are you or someone you know dealing with the agony of an addiction? You cannot change what you do until you let God change who you are. 
Freedom That Lasts is a discipleship ministry of Northwest Valley Baptist Church that applies the life-transforming principles of the gospel and Christian growth to the problems of life-dominating sins and addictions. All of this happens in an atmosphere of love and accountability. If you would like to know more information about this important ministry, give us a call at 623-581-3115 or visit our website at daretostand.org. Go to the homepage and click the Discipleship Connections button. Thanks, Dr. Shaw. If you would like more details about the addiction recovery ministry called Freedom That Lasts, please contact Northwest Valley Baptist Church at 623-581-3115. And now let's get back to our study as we see the prophet Elisha instruct King Jehoram and his army to start digging ditches. Here's Dr. Shaw with more. So he said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, make the valley full of ditches. Dig trenches, dig ditches, dig low places. Why do that? Here's what he said. For thus saith the Lord, you will not see wind, you'll not see rain, yet the valley shall be filled with water that you may drink both ye and your cattle and your beasts. He says, it's not going to rain, you're not going to see any wind, but all of these ditches will be filled with water. That doesn't make sense, humanly speaking. And this is but a light thing in the sight of the Lord. He will deliver the Moabites into your hand. And he does deliver the Moabites to a certain extent based upon this particular miracle. And you shall smite every fenced city and every choice city and you shall fell every good tree and stop all the wells of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. Okay, we'll come back to that particular instruction. And it came to pass in the morning when the meat offering when the meat offering was offered, that behold, there came water by the way of Edom, and the country was filled with water. Let me just give you a little bit of sense of geography. They were around or near the lowest place on earth. It's the lowest elevation in the plant on the planet. So what happens in these low elevations? We understand this even in Arizona. You can have, you can be in a desert and have no rain and no clouds and be in a flash flood. Why? Because it rains someplace else. And so the water rains, and it rains in abundance someplace else, and it has to run. And so it runs down the mountains, and it runs down into the valleys, and, and that, that, is, that is exactly what happened. It rained somewhere else, and the water's flowing down the mountainside toward the Dead Sea, and then all these trenches and places in the ground that they had dug in faith were filled with water by the morning. See, things that sometimes don't make sense to us, Make perfect sense to God. And yet Elisha gave the message, even though it probably wasn't what he wanted, even though it didn't seem to make human sense, even though there's a sense in which it seems to reward the wicked. And, and one of the reasons that we do that is because we don't understand his purposes. Because God is doing more than what is just apparent to us. I know that God was doing more than what was apparent to Elisha, at least as described in the text, because Elisha gives further instructions. He says, not only is God going to provide the water, but God is going to give Moab into your hand. God is going to defeat the Moabites. 
And I want you to do these things to judge the Moabites. In other words, God's intention for his purposes with regard to the land of Moab is the judgment of God is going to come upon Moab. You say, why? I don't know, but there was a reason. God always has a reason. The passage of Scripture doesn't particularly tell us. I would imagine that Moab was a particularly wicked place. And so the judgment of God is going to come upon Moab, and God intends these three kings to be the means by which that judgment will come. And see, this is, we trust God because, we trust God implicitly, without qualification or question, because God always knows what He's doing. We don't know what He's doing, but He always knows what He's doing. He's doing more than we understand. And in this particular case, We know that there was judgment upon Moab, and it's described here. And so, of course, what happened in the morning, when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up against them, they gathered, were able to put on armor, and stood on the border. Now, they would have been standing on the border and standing on a high place, looking down into the the Jordan Valley, you know, on the, the, the mountain sides on the east side of the Jordan. So they're looking down into the valley. And as the sun is coming up in the morning, you have the rocks reflected all around, uh, you know, the red rocks and the sun coming up and all of that. And they saw the water where there should be no water. And they thought to themselves in these pools that are in the ground, dug, that that must be blood. Because this is probably something that they were hoping for. The Moabites are hoping, you know, it's Edom and it's Israel and it's Judah. How can they possibly get along? And they're they're maybe hoping, you know, that they won't get along with each other and they'll just sort of fight one another and never make it here. It, It had happened before in Bible history. And so they look. And when all the Moabites heard that the kings were come up, they got, they got there and they, went, and they rose up early, verse 22, in the morning, and the sun shone upon the water, and the Moabites saw the water on the other side as red as blood. And they said, this is blood. The kings are surely slain, and they have smitten one another. Now, therefore, Moab to the spoil. And the armies of Moab come running down to the mountain not knowing that the armies of the Edomites and the Israelites and Judah are waiting for them. And when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites rose up and smote the Moabites so that they fled before them. And they went forward smiting the Moabites even in their country. They beat down the cities and on every good piece of land cast every man a stone and filled Stopped all the wells of water and felled the good trees. Only Kaharasteth left they the stones thereof. Howbeit the slingers went about it and smote it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was too difficult, too sore for him, he took with him 700 men and drew swords. They're all backed up into one particular city now. They drew swords and they broke through. And they got even to the king of Moab, but they couldn't get all the way through. I, I'm thinking that our young people are, they probably at some point were in Gettysburg. If you've ever studied Pickett's Charge, you know, they're charging up that hill and they just, you know, they just get through the line, but they can't quite, they, they just can't maintain it. And so they got through the line, but they couldn't maintain it. And so the king 
of Moab does something amazing. In fact, it was considered horrifying. The king of Moab took his oldest son that was his heir that would have reigned in his place. And he goes up upon the wall of the city and in the sight of the armies attacking and in the sight of his own people who are defending, he makes a human sacrifice of his son. What a horrifying, evil act by the king of Moab at the height of the battle to kill his own son in everyone's sight as a human sacrifice. Dr. Shaw will be back with a closing thought on this whole situation in a moment. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dare to Stand, a radio ministry outreach of Northwest Valley Baptist Church in Glendale, Arizona, where our teacher, Dr. Kevin Shaw, serves as senior pastor. Northwest Valley Baptist Church is located at 4030 West Yorkshire Drive in Glendale. That's just south of the 101 at 40th Avenue. Come visit our new worship center. Sunday worship service is at 9.30 a.m. Adult Bible studies and Sunday school for all ages are at 11 a.m. And Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. Child care is provided for all services. Wednesday evening activities include prayer meetings, children's and teens programs. Northwest Valley Baptist Church also offers a quality traditional Christian education for your children, grades K-12, through at Arrowhead Christian Academy, located right on the church property at 40th Avenue and Yorkshire Drive. For more details about the church, kids programs, this radio broadcast, or to register your kids for Arrowhead Christian Academy, please visit www.daretostand.org or call 623-581-3115. If Dr. Shaw's teaching is a blessing to you, we encourage you to visit daretostand.org. Find out more about this ministry. Consider supporting this program with a tax-deductible donation of any amount. Your donations help to keep Dr. Shaw on the air. We would love to give you free copies of Pastor Shaw's teaching and minister to you personally. So please call Northwest Valley Baptist Church today, 623-581-3115, and let us serve you in any way we can. You're always welcome to visit Sunday morning service at 9.30 or Sunday evening discipleship at 6 p.m. I'm Celeste Montague. Do join us next time for more in our study of the life of Elisha the prophet. And now, here's Dr. Shaw with some closing thoughts about the battle between Moab and Israel and Judah, and how faithful Elisha was to speak for God in this strange and bizarre situation. Join us next time for more, right here on Dare to Stand. There's judgment on Moab. There's a testimony of God's goodness to Edom. There is a preservation of Judah, and we find that Judah is preserved in all of this, but I think there's also a humiliation of Israel. And it says there was great anger or indignation against Israel. Now here, here the text is unclear, and I don't know if I have the answer. Who was indignant against Israel? Were the Edomites and the sons of Judah indignant against Israel? Or was it the Moabites who were indignant against Israel? And when they saw the king sacrificing his own son, they went out in anger. 
I'm just not sure which it is. Maybe it's all of those things together. But I do know this, that event turned the tide. And they departed, Israel and the other nations, from him. And they returned to their own land. One king seeking to use God for his own purposes and end up, ends up humiliated in the end. And a servant of God, trusting God implicitly and giving God's me message faithfully, regardless of how it turns out for him. So here's the question. In your prayer life, in your personal life, as you seek God, are you serving him or are you using him?